Uh, back home, I've been teaching for the last, I don't know, four weeks. The Lord's really been speaking to me, and I've been preaching on this collection called I Hate You, But It's Killing Me. Bars. I, I hate you, but it's killing me, and been talking on the topic of forgiveness. Now, what's interesting is, like, in 2023, like, talking on forgiveness can get you canceled. Because people, right away, when you start teaching forgiveness, they're like, what about justice? What about, what about people that abuse someone or hurt someone? What, what's going to happen there? And by no means, when you start talking about forgiveness, are you disregarding justice, but rather you're surrendering, which is the entire faith journey, to the God of justice. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're trusting God with it. And we've been teaching on it, and the Lord has just been doing something mighty in, in our church. And, and tonight, I, I want to lean into that if I can. And I've been all over Matthew chapter 18, and I even told Judah, I said, Judah, just start reading Matthew 18, because there's some beautiful, beautiful, um, there's a beautiful parable that Jesus taught from in there. Uh, that famous question where Peter's like, how many times do I got to forgive somebody? The thing with forgiveness that people don't realize is that unforgiveness in your heart never hurts the other person. It only hurts you. And what I'm learning in life is that if I don't heal from what hurt me, unaddressed hurt will turn to hate. And here's the wildest part, is that when you have hate in your heart and you don't deal with the hate in your heart, guess what happens? You become like the people who hurt you. Isn't that wild? That by default, everything about your life was resisting becoming like them. You, you, you ever met somebody who like just, they hate their dad and their the entire life, they're like trying not to be like their dad. Inadvertently, guess what they become like? They become like the man who created their dad, their grandfather. One theologian said, Jesus lives in my heart, but grandpa lives in my bones. That we pass down these generational patterns. And my heart is that you would understand that you have no future without forgiveness. That the entire gospel story is about forgiveness, that God so loved the world, that he forgave you, that if you'll receive it, and as we receive his forgiveness, it's called the forgiveness flow, it helps us to forgive other people. Now, as we get into this tonight, like, because I'm just kind of jumping in, kind of mid to where I've been teaching, and I haven't taken you on the entire journey, I understand that sometimes you can come to church, and it sounds like people get up on the stage and it seems like they disregard the hurt, the pain, the trauma that you've gone through. And they just say, forgive, forgive, forgive. I had sort of this revelation this summer. I was, um, I was vacationing. This is funny. I live in Miami, Florida. Shout out 305. Um, I love you. I like it. Um, but I vacation in Alabama. I got problems. I know. And if you think I got problems, well, your pastors do too. We go to this lake called Lake Martin, and we, and we love it. And I was there with my little boys, and uh, I have three kids. My oldest boy, his name is Wyatt. Um, my second son, his name is Wild. I don't know if that was a good idea naming him that. And then my, my favorite child is my daughter. Her name's Waylon. And, and, and Wyatt is out there. Wyatt's big for his age. He's five, and then Wild's three. Now, you, you should know. Wyatt's big. Wild's really small, but Wild's never backed down from a fight his entire life. This kid is sort of crazy. Um, I went to Disney World like two weeks ago. I think you guys got Disneyland out here, and they have this new uh, Star Wars ride. I don't know when the last time you went to like, any of the Disney places, but some of these people take their jobs way too serious. <laughs> oh my God, this is true. I got on this ride, it's like the Star Wars ride, and these dudes that are there, they're like characters, but they genuinely think that they work for the Empire. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, we get it, bro, you, you're passionate, and so, this like worker is like talking trash to me and my little kids, you know? 
Like he is. It's like, I'm like, dude, you don't really work for Darth Vader. Chill out, you know? And <laughs> he, 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 it's me and my three boys, my wife, and then a friend of ours, her name's Caroline. And this guy comes over and he's like, part of the empire. And he looks at me and he's like, he's like, do you know this girl? And I was like, absolutely not. Never seen her a day in my life, you know? He goes to my oldest boy, Wyatt. Wyatt's like crying. Like, he's like so spooked out, you know? He's like, oh. and he's like, do you know her? He's like, I've never seen her. I don't know her, you know? But he gets to my three-year-old boy, Wild, and he's like, you know her? And Wild's like, yes! I know her! Like, he's, like, ready to kill her, okay? Like, he's like a Jedi. I'm like, dude. So he's never back. He just gets scrappy. And so they're in the lake, and genuinely, Wyatt keeps coming over to Wild, and he won't, he won't stop dunking him, you know? So I see this. I'm a good dad. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But I, I, I swim over, and I'm like, Wyatt, stop! You can't. You can't dunk your brother like that, you know? And I, I, I'm a preacher, so I start giving the I'm like, you know, God's giving you strength for service, son. Come on, you know? Like, I'm ministering to him. And I'm like, apologize, you know, apologize. He's like, I'm sorry, Wild. I'm sorry, I'm a bad brother. And he's apologizing. Meanwhile, Wild's coming out of the water. He's like, boo! He's like been drowning for the last bit. And as soon as he comes out of the water, I've got Wyatt apologizing. And I immediately look at Wild. I go, Wild, say I forgive you. And Wild's like, Boo! I'm like, say I forgive you. He's like, Ugh. I would if I could just catch my breath. And I realized in a moment that I was just with my two boys that sometimes pastors, sometimes churches can be looking at people who have gone through real trauma real pain, real heartache, and we can sort of berate you saying, say I forgive you, say I forgive you, say I forgive you. And you're sort of like, yeah, 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 I, I will. I'm just trying to catch my breath. And I suppose then I just like kicking off this conversation like, what I know about Zoe is that it's not a perfect church. But what I know about Zoe is that it aims to be a safe place that says, we'll walk with you as you catch your breath. As you catch your breath. Tonight, this is not me trying to shout at you, say, you got to forgive. It's, it's about you receiving the love of God. Whatever you're full of is what you'll be led by. And I have to get full of his love and full of his mercy. And then the flow has to come out of me because friend if you don't heal from what hurt you it will turn to hate and if you don't deal with the hate in your heart well it just goes like this hurt people hurt people hurt people, hurt people. I, I want to look at Matthew 18 for a moment this is very very practical I'm taking too much time because I feel like I'm at home but it's Sunday night and Judah and I are going to tag team we'll be here till tomorrow so <laughs> kick get ready Matthew 18 let's just look at these these are these are a few verses it says this it says Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you, watch this, as a Gentile, another translation says, as a pagan and a tax collector. 
Tonight, I, I, I want to flip it a little bit. I've been preaching, I hate you, but it's killing me. I want to take it a step further for all of us that are taking notes. I, I want to teach for a few moments on this thought. I love you, but I don't trust you. Say this out loud with me. Say, you get what you allow. Say it again. Say, you get what you allow. Now, I'm not preaching to Zoe kids. I'm preaching to a group of adults. And we're talking on the subject of relationship pain and how we digest that and how we go through that. And you're going to have to get a revelation in your life, 30-year-old man, 42-year-old woman. You get what you allow. I remember when I was 16 years of age, uh, I, I turned 16, my dad took our old family car. It was a 1993 Ford Orange Explorer. He went and got it detailed, put brush guards on it, changed the inside with carbon fiber. It had 300,000 miles on it, but he put two 12s in the back, and how many of y'all know that was a new car? <laughs> he pulled up. It was my pride and joy. I drove that thing everywhere. But that summer, I turned 16 in March, that summer as we got into July, my air conditioning in that Explorer went out. Now, I live in Miami, and driving around in an Explorer without any air conditioning in Miami is a good tactic to see people get saved. Because if you want a vision of what hell looks like and feels like, but I was 16 years of age, and I said, that's not a problem. Roll the window down. It's funny, because people used to get my car, and they're like, bro, feels like hell in here. I'm like, it's not a big deal. Roll the window down. How many of y'all know, rolling the window down is what we call a quick fix. And some of us in this room, every relationship we have is full of quick fixes. The reality of it is, is that the car was not operating to its optimal function. It's safe to say, I was allowing the car to be dysfunctional. And some of us, when it comes to our relationships and when it comes to our lives, we have become comfortable being dysfunctional. And if we're going to be honest tonight, we're going to actually have to examine the dysfunctional things that are taking place in our life. And we're going to actually have to surrender that and submit that over to God and say, God, what is your plan? What is your order? Because let's just be really, really honest, man. You can't put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Forgiveness is about a release. That's what forgiveness means. It means to release something, to let something go. But hear me loud and clear. Healing is a process. I'm shocked how many people in the church do not understand this. So many people I meet in the church, they don't realize the difference that I have to let it go in my heart. But just because I let it go in my heart doesn't mean I'm automatically healed and back to normal. If you break your arm, how many of y'all know, you don't walk around with a broken arm. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I can't lift it. It's broken. No, you go to a doctor, and what do they do? They put it into a cast. What is the cast? The cast is a hard shell. The hard shell is protecting the broken bone, the messed up tendons, not forever, but for a season. What does the cast do? It's a hard shell, but it also restricts, it creates a boundary of movement for the arm. Not forever, but until it heals. How many of y'all know, if your broken arm requires time to heal, why don't you think your broken heart is going to require some time to heal? Come on, if your broken arm needs to establish a boundary, how many of y'all know our broken hearts have to establish boundaries? I meet people in church, and it's like, all right, I forgave them. 
but does that mean I have to let them back into my sphere of influence and into my everyday life? Do I just have to enter right back into dysfunction? I want to be crystal clear with you. Nowhere in Scripture tells us that that's how we have to live. In fact, Matthew 18 would give us a really beautiful practical teaching. Now, a lot of the Bible is complicated. A lot of the Bible is mysterious. A lot of the Bible is dynamic. It needs context. But then there's some parts of the Bible that are really simple. And this would be one of them. Jesus is teaching you and I in his church. He's talking to believers. And he's describing if somebody sins against you or if somebody hurts you, welcome to life. People are going to hurt you. You want to try to do this thing called community in church? Get ready. Someone's fitting to offend you. Someone's going to disappoint you. What do I do when someone hurts me? Well, Jesus makes it simple. He says, number one, if someone sins against you, number one, bring it to their attention. It's like, I know that, but you don't do it. Anyone have that friend that's like always offended, but you didn't even know? The first thing you have to do when someone hurts you is you actually have to go to them bring it to their attention. Hey, what you did, that hurt me. That, that let me down. It actually requires you to communicate. Let them know. You cannot expect someone to know that they've offended you if you haven't taken the time to express it to them. You're going to actually have to articulate that and let someone know, bro, you, you let me down. Now, I think maturing in the Lord is as you grow, don't be so easily offended. I'm just shocked. Some people are just like, dude, like, Chill out. Make allowances is what Colossians says for offense. You know, when you set up your budget, you create a budget, like you've got to put an allowance. Like I might, you know, the car might break down and you have some extra money. You need to relationally have some allowances that people are going to disappoint you. Let's mature in the Lord. But he says, he doesn't just say bring it to their attention. What does he say? Number two, he's like, Jesus just knows us. He's like, but you know, that might not work because I know people. I created them. If that doesn't work, go and get one or two other people, a witness, and bring it to that person with them. Now, let's just be clear. Like, let's say this is a marriage. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean you can bring your mom into the fight. <laughs> right? Like, Don, she was like, and my mom is here as a witness? She's totally on my side. I'm like, of course she's on your side. She gave birth to you. No, no, no. We've got to bring someone who has shared values, shared faith, that walks in it and lovingly would say, no, 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 let's point this out. But look at Jesus. Jesus just guessed you and me. He understands us. He's like, nah, nah, but these people, man, they're immature. Even at that, you know what? If that still doesn't work, third time, go and get the church involved. Get a leader involved. By the way, that's just one of the beautiful things about being in community. I think that we need to stop and pause and recognize the moments in Scripture that highlights beautiful commands that bring freedom to our lives, that we need people that we submit ourselves to that can bring clarity. I'm shocked. I love L.A. This is one of my favorite cities. I've been coming here since I was 19 years of age, bro. I preach in so many churches around here. I love it. But sometimes, just as, as an eyewitness on the outside looking in, sometimes I come to this city, I'm like, y'all just kind of, not you, you're, at the, you, you're mature, but some others... There is such a consumer mentality, and it's just about me, myself, and Jesus. Of course, I think you could be a Christian and not be a part of church, but I would say this. If you have no desire, if you have no inkling, if you have no pursuit whatsoever to be a part of a community, you probably should stop reading the New Testament. Why would you say that? Well, because the entire New Testament... The majority of almost all of it is not written to individual people. 
It's actually written to the ecclesia, the gathering of saints. We got a lot of people reading devotionally something that was addressed for community and a gathering and trying to digest it simply individually. Philippians, it's not written to a guy named Philip. It's Philippi. It's a church. Oh, it's, just, it's just me and Jesus calling and devotions. No, you don't understand what you're reading. This was written to a community. If you're married and you want to actually have a good marriage, at some point in your life, you've probably already done this. I love my wife, dude. 17 years of marriage, bro. I love, love, I love my wife. Love her long time. Love her deeply and profoundly. I love this woman. I love her. But, yo, we got crazy chemistry. That type of chemistry has sometimes those atoms, they create bombs. You know what I'm talking about? Explosions. Woman, look at my mouth talking to you. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? And sometimes she don't understand me, and sometimes I don't understand her. And so what do we have to do? We have to submit ourselves to another voice to weigh into it. So Jesus gives you practical things. I, I just bring this up because I see so many people in the body of Christ that they get easily offended. It's like, oh, I'm out. And you need to do one thing Jesus told you to do. By the way, this is just a fun question. Do people see you as unusually forgiving, full of mercy, extremely generous? Is that what people say behind your back? Wow, that dude's from Zoe, man. Those people are freaky forgiving, man. Because that's what it means to be a follower. You know what an offense does? Offense just builds a fence around you. Just makes your world smaller. But Jesus, he's just being practical. He's like, do these things. He knows that a lot of us don't do it. But watch what he says here. This is important. He says, if you've done all three of those things, so I'm, I'm just, people I've learned in church have selective hearing. So we hear what we want to hear. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But none of this message is to justify unforgiveness in your heart. It's quite the opposite. But I am talking to you about healing. Jesus says, if they don't do that, what you're to do is you're to treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Now let's clarify that for some context. I think some Christians read that, it's like, oh, finally. <laughs> I cannot wait to boycott the Grammys again. <laughs> Nowhere in the scripture does it say the church is supposed to judge the world. And just so we're clear, because I know Zoe gets her, the world's going to be the world. You know what I'm talking about? You ever, you ever meet like one of those, he probably doesn't have, in Miami, it's like, you know, everyone, a lot of people speak Spanish. And sometimes I'm with some dude who's maybe not from Miami, and he's like talking to someone who speaks Spanish. And he's like, can you help me? And then like the person doesn't speak English. And so what does he do? He just keeps raising his voice like, do you understand what? I no, they don't speak English, bro. What's wrong with you? I don't care how much volume you put. I don't care what the body language is. They speak Spanish. And sometimes the church looks at the world and they don't speak Christian. They don't speak faith. They don't speak forgiveness. So quit expecting them to think like you, act like you, talk like you, be like you. So when Jesus says, treat the world or treat this person like a pagan or tax collector. He's not saying to judge them. He's not saying to be unfair. That's not at all what he says. In fact, the only context that we could have is we'd have to go to the book of Corinthians when Paul says, what does he say? He says, do not be unequally yoked with darkness. Now, once again, it's like, what does that mean? We live in LA, we drive Teslas, a yoke. What is that? <laughs> a yoke is a wooden object that was put on two oxen for a mission. What is the mission? To plow a field in a straight line. 
What happens if you put one oxen who's stronger than the other? I'll tell you what'll happen is they won't go in a straight line. Instead, they'll go in a circle. Do you ever feel like all of your relationships are just going in a vicious circle? Stuck in a rut. What Jesus is saying is he's saying you can't be yoked up with that person anymore. You can no longer be bound to that person anymore. You don't have the same mission. You don't have the same values. He would say this. He would say, don't get bound, but set a boundary. Don't get bound, set a boundary. I love you, but I don't trust you is about teaching the church and teaching community how to set healthy boundaries. We don't understand boundaries. Listen to me. You have to forgive everyone, but you don't have to tolerate everyone. This is important. You got to forgive everyone, but you ain't got to tolerate everyone. If my brother is a raging alcoholic, that he drinks so much and he throws bottles around and he uses profanity, guess where my family's not going for Christmas? I don't care if he's my brother. I love you, but I'm not going to tolerate that. Woman of God, I love you, but if any man ever puts his hands on you, I hope he does apologize. I hope he begs for mercy. But you cannot find one point in that book that would ever, ever subject you to saying you got to stay in that thing. At some point, you can say, I ain't got to tolerate this. I know my worth. I love you, but I got to back up from this. I need a boundary. You don't have to hang out with people who gaslight you. You don't have to live with people who manipulate you. But Rich, what do you mean? I thought Jesus said, no, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. But he never says they got to move in with you. And we don't understand how to set healthy boundaries. What's a boundary? It's a limit. It's an extent. I know we're in LA. It's like we all got five jobs, multiple streams of income. I'm an actor, a server. I do it all. But at some point, you're going to realize you're not Jesus. It's not your job to save anyone. It's your job to love everyone. And a boundary is my, my, my limit, my, 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 my gauge of the extent of how far I can go. And here's a simple way for me to put it for you. Boundaries keep my heart pure, but my head sane. My heart pure, but my head said, Jesus said, if you don't forgive from your heart, I won't forgive you. So forgiveness is the condition of my heart. It's more than words. It's not me looking at while going, forgive, forgive, forgive. It's me absorbing the pain, me walking through it, me choosing. I, I'm not going to keep just putting windows down all over the place, but I want God's optimal function in my life. I'm going to have to set a boundary and as I keep my heart pure my head stays sane some of y'all you're crazy because of what you allow into your life your schedules out of control every relationships out of control that dude keeps cheating on you and you just keep letting him come back he's changed rich no he hasn't you're in love with his potential but I'm telling you judge him by his pattern 
He's dysfunctional. I love you, but I don't trust you. I'm going to get Judah to come up here. I think what's important about this, because I've got some handles I want to talk about on boundaries, but some of you are like, I don't know about this. Well, just understand, God is a God of boundaries. What? Yeah. Our God is a God of boundaries. Most famous Bible verse in the world, thank you, Tim Tebow, John, 3, John chapter 3, verse 16. Do we have it by any chance? Just so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I love that. If you're going to memorize one verse, we've got a few more months left, get that one in you. Not because not of Tim, just because it's good, okay? We love that. It's the radical love of God, the whosoevers. But you know what's the scripture that doesn't get quoted much in the exact same book, same chapter, 20 verses down? John chapter 3, watch this, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Wait, that doesn't sound like L.A., We don't understand that God is a God of boundaries, that God is a God of love as much as he's a God of wrath. He's a God of fury, not because he wants to hurt or punish people, but rather it's the evil that has come into the equation that has left all of us dysfunctional. And there will be a day that God brings about justice. I'm grateful for scriptures like this that say he's slow to anger. It's not his will that any should perish. But even in John chapter 3, verse 16, y'all, that if you don't believe, you perish. What does that mean, perish? It means separation from God. That's punishment. That's wrath. Well, he can't be full of wrath. God's wrath is not like wounded pride. His ego isn't wounded. That's not what's going on here. It's quite controlled, and it's the nature of who he is. And many of us, we, have a, we don't have the right image of who God is. And if you don't have the right image of who God is, it's going to distort all of your life. So some of us in this room, it's like we just think, we think God's like Oprah, that he just says yes to everything. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. And then all of a sudden, we don't get a car. We're like, I hate you, God. And I hate the church, and everyone uses me, except you prayed last year at the conference that God would use you. We're confused. I think you're confused. I think you're confused. I know. I didn't know. Like, when he used me, I was going to feel like I was being used. But that's what you prayed. But others of us, we just think God, God just says no all the time. So we walk in. It's like, even that, you're like, I don't know if I belong. I don't think I belong here. I think these guys got it all together. And that place, man, once I clean my life up a little bit more, then I'll come into Zoe. But man, both are wrong. Because if you only think God says yes, you're going to turn out to be a spoiled child. But if you think God only says no, you're going to be an abused child. And neither are correct, but rather understanding that God is a God of boundaries and that as I adhere to his boundaries, I walk into his blessing. Come on, if you believe it, somebody give God some praise in this place. All right, would you help me welcome to the stage my good friend, pastor in my life, spiritual big brother, Pastor Judah Smith, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Rich, thanks for having me up here. I disagree. Uh, like, can you imagine? <laughs> that would be terrible. We can um, disagree. I love it. Um, 
You know what's amazing about Matthew 18 and everything you're saying is the whole entire conversation that Jesus is engaging in really starts with a misconception of, uh, of the person asking the question. Because at the beginning of Matthew 18, which is what we're talking about, um, the question is asked to Jesus, hey, who's, where's the ranking? Who's the greatest? And, and, and obviously the question is also, who's going to be a big deal in eternity? That was the question. And Jesus' response is amazing as it pertains to forgiveness, as it pertains to understanding what's actually going on in the solar system and the entire universe. And he says this, he says, all right, I got your question. <clears throat> I've received your email. I got your question. You want to know my ranking system. And he says this, well, well whoever, and he, he takes a little, a little child, a little, little toddler, and he puts him in front of the audience. And he says, unless you become like a little child, you'll never understand what I'm doing and where I'm going. And, of course, imp imperative in, or, or, or in the essence of the message is like this, this fragile, finite, little, helpless little child before. And, and obviously in those days, uh, the Torah and the teachings of the first five books of the Bible and the 630 laws, it wasn't about being weak. It wasn't about being small. It wasn't about being childlike it was about being robust yep. and a know-it-all and understand it all but I, I i looked up the word little child and one of its meanings in the hebrew which the audience would have heard is is wounded lamb and what's interesting is this entire this entire uh, uh conversation in matthew 18 is predicated on people who don't realize they're wounded right so what i mean is like a lot of you are like yeah i'm gonna forgive so-and-so is it hard for you to forgive like is it hard or 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 don't you need it like, if you're a wounded person, guess what you can specialize in? Wounded people, right? But we oftentimes think that Jesus is trying to make his children into complete, totally uh, perfect, wrapped up. And so in an effort to get there, we present ourselves as that. We present ourselves as put together. We present ourselves as having it all. We present ourselves as, and what we're going to do is we're going to give great charity to the world. And we are now as complete whole children of God, we are going to forgive the lesser people. When in reality, the whole thing is off. The reality is like, I got to forgive Rich. He's got to forgive me. We're both wounded lambs. And of course, in the metaphor in that day, they would take the where would the wounded lamb go the, the wounded lamb can't walk on its own the wounded lamb's got to be picked up by the shepherd and put over his shoulders and I think the imagery is very very simple and that is that you're being carried and I'm being carried and if Jesus forgave us how much more than we forgive others so I think the message of forgiveness and boundaries is inherent to all of us because we're all broken, we're all wounded, we're all hurting, and um, here comes our superhero, the Savior and the shepherd of us all. And then, of course, as he goes on, he starts with lostness. He says, okay, listen, people are lost, I'm after the lost, and the sheep metaphor continues, and then he gets into, and remember, this message on forgiveness isn't about forgiving people that don't know Jesus. This is about forgiving people who do know yes. Jesus. And the reason for that is the world needs to see that we are forgiven. Forgivers. We're forgivers. Not that we know it all, have it all, do it all, be it all, but we forgive one to another. And of course, that starts, and probably very appropriate that we're tag teaming, because when you're talking about forgiveness, it starts even with preachers forgiving each other, ministers forgiving each other, churches forgiving each other, movements forgiving each other, so that the world can see that God works with wounded lambs. And everybody can relate to somebody who's wounded and broken. I think what you're bringing up is so important because we live in a time right now where I judge you by your actions, but I judge me by my intentions. Yeah. And so it's mercy for me, but justice for you. And all of Matthew 18, as he begins teaching here, 
more questions come. And there's Peter, my favorite disciple, who's got a cussing problem, and <clears throat> I've never done that. But um, <laughs> Judah has on the golf course, and uh, <laughs> throwing him under the bus. But Peter comes with a question that I think a lot of us wonder at times. Well, how many times I got to forgive? In fact, he even says, he, Peter, always does this, seven. And the reason why he's even saying this number in this way is because the Talmud, which is the Jewish handbook, only suggested that you had to do it three times. So Peter's being ambitious. Peter's like, yep, I'm going to show Jesus. I'm going to go above and beyond seven. And then Jesus has his famous answer. He says, not seven, but seven times 70. Seven times 70. And as Jesus is speaking, people even go, oh, what does that mean? Is it 77 times? And then, you know, all the mathematicians, is it 490 times? But Jesus, the most incredible communicator who ever lived, is actually teaching in such a way that it's not about math, but rather he's letting all of us know that you and I, when it comes to our relationships, we have this invisible scoreboard. And we've got scoreboard relationships. <laughs> And what Jesus is trying to say back to Peter is like, yo, Peter, if you're still counting, you're not forgiving. Because forgiveness is not about keeping score. Forgiveness is about learning how to lose count. Which goes into his parable of the unmerciful servant, which is what you're talking about. And the reason we don't keep count is because you don't want to do that. That's a fruitless activity and it won't go well for you. Jesus goes on to tell a parable that is very telling. And this parable is, of course, the arrangement of the universe and the arrangement that you have with God, whether you like it or not. And he says this, he says, well, the kingdom of God, that is the domain of the king and how it functions, is a lot like this. There's a man who owed a king a billion dollars. And that billion dollars, basically, but Jesus is trying to tell a story about a man who's got a, a sum of money he could never repay in multiple lifetimes. That sounds familiar. And it says that he, he had borrowed money from the royal treasury. In case you didn't know, your entire life is borrowed from the royal treasury. Your whole life is borrowed. Your breath is borrowed. Your days are borrowed. Your sleep is borrowed. Your oxygen is borrowed. Your past is borrowed. Your future is borrowed. Today is borrowed. You living on borrowed breath. Using your borrowed breath. To judge other people right and so he says to the man he says he goes on to tell the story he says the man with the owes a billion dollars and he says to the king I can't owe it and he says this and this is the outrageous nature of the human condition and our arrogance and our pride the one man who owes a billion dollars to the king he says in Jesus parable he says I just need more time and I can pay it back and that's the error of the church you think in some way through your lifetime that you're gonna somehow pay Jesus back for all that he has done I got news for you he don't need to be paid back he's not short on funds that's not what this whole arrangement and orientation is about at all it's not about that he says just give me more time and the Bible says the king says nah it's canceled that man goes out from the palace finds somebody on the streets that owes him twenty thousand dollars and tells the man you owe me and I need my money now I need my money now and that man says to the man he says I can't pay that money I can't pay it he says well then you're gonna work it off until the day that you can pay it and as the story goes on obviously we begin to pick up on the narrative of what Jesus is saying and that is I am that man I am that man I have been forgiven right he who he who's been forgiven much loves much 
I'm telling you, you want to love Jesus more, just consider all yeah. the ways he forgave you. You want to be a boundary builder? You want to be somebody who walks in forgiveness and freedom? Drench and soak yourself in what Jesus has done. Recognize again, you're on, you're on borrowed money from the royal treasury. Furthermore, do you know how the all of Matthew 18 ends? It's crazy. You know what Jesus says? It's in red. He literally says, and so, and the Bible, in the parable, the man just says, uh, the king calls that guy back in, right, because he finds out. So by the way, it says his associates told on him. His associates told on him. And they get back to the king. The king pulls him back in. He says, you wicked and lazy man. I forgave you so much, and you wouldn't forgive others. Now, listen, this gets really intense. To, to, to Rich's point, it gets to the end. And I don't, wait, am I, going, am I stealing the end, by the way? Oh, like, wait a minute. We're just, we have, we're just flowing. I, I love for, it. Rich, I forgive you for yeah. this. I seriously forgive you for this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to get a witness in Yeah, seriously, man, I forgive you. Um, Where's my laser pointer? I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> but um, Jesus, Jesus literally says, um, the, the, the king says to the man, he says, you're going to spend the rest of your life incarcerated. The rest of your life, you're going to pay me back, which of course meant a lifetime sentence. And Jesus says, and so your heavenly father will do to you unless you forgive your fellow believer but wait for it. You look up heart, and in the, in the Greek, it means perfect heart. So Matthew 18 ends, in case you were ready to earn your way into the domain of the king, it ends by saying, if you don't forgive each other perfectly, you will be damned. And I'm telling you, this is the trajectory of the teaching of Jesus. You know what he's trying to do with the audience? Because remember how the audience started. They said, who's the best? Who's, who's number one? Who's the best? Who's the most talented? Who's the most spiritual? And who's going to be like a big deal in eternity? And Jesus is like, let's talk. By the time he gets done, he says, you got to be perfect in your forgiveness. And my question is, who amongst us can stand here on this 6 p.m. service at Zoe Church and say, I got it. And here is the problem we take. We go about Matthew 18 without the king. And we think, I'm going to go do all of this. But I'm telling you, the whole, the whole, the whole chapter gets back to, you're going to need the king to forgive the way the king wants us to forgive in the kingdom. Supernatural transformation of your heart. So I, I, I say all the time, like, Lord, if you want me to, you know, there are some people you forgive once and there's some people you forgive every day. You gotta, I got a few of those people right now. I'm dead serious. Because the forgiveness I gave them yesterday, it ain't sticking. I got to start again today. You know what I'm talking about? But gee, it's for real. I forgave them yesterday, but not today. And God's got to do it again in me. Remind me, I'm also borrowing money from the royal treasury. I'm living on borrowed breath. Far be it for me not to forgive my brother for what he's done against me. And his grace is sufficient. My favorite preacher right there. I was thinking as you, as you were even teaching on that because um you ever have this like i was getting off i-95 that's miami i'm getting off and it's one of these where you get off the exit and you come down and there's a light and all, all there's four lanes but all three are going left and there's one that's going right and then maybe some of y'all do this but i'm the guy who actually you know i'm a man of god i actually wait in the line but some of y'all i know some of y'all you come up and you try to cut in you know those people and um that's next week's message but uh <laughs> I waited in line, and then all of a sudden, this dude, he comes over, you know, he's like, oh my God, please, like, lean in, you know? I'm like, 
You know, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I appreciate, yeah, you, you're, not, you're probably busier than me, you probably got more responsibility, come on in, you know? Well, I let him in, only to watch another car pull up and try to get in front of him, and this dude is looking at, the, he's not doing, it wasn't spirit fingers, it was another finger, and, and genuinely, this guy, he's screaming at this other car. And I'm like watching this, and finally he doesn't see. He's so angry, the light turns green, that this car over here speeds in front of him. This guy goes nuts. But the whole time while I'm watching it, I start getting angry. I'm like, bro, if I let you in, you got to let him in. Pretty simple. If I let you in, you got to let him in. And I wonder how many times in the church, God's looking down on all of us here at Zoe going, I let you in. You're going to have to let some other people in as well. That's the heart I'm looking for, that you'll let them in. Let them in, let them in, let them in, let them in. There is this flow that comes out of our life. And I think Judah, even you're bringing up Luke chapter 7, there's so many things in terms of when this woman pours out this beautiful alabaster and everyone's going, you could have taken that money and you could have spent that somewhere else and helped the poor. And Jesus says, those, who love, who, those who've been forgiven little love little, but those who've been forgiven much love much. Sometimes you come to church, you see people doing like singing off key and their hands way up in the air. Don't judge that, bro. You don't know that they are worshiping out of a broken place that they understand, quite frankly, maybe the best they've ever understood, all that they have been spared and saved from. And I love Judah as we're, as we're teaching on this and the worship team can come up here because we will never honestly finish if we're up here. Um, I really believe that you even talk about, I think everything in relationships, you gotta be led by the spirit. So tonight is, is not me trying to give practical points that you can use boundaries over people. Some of y'all got crazy boundaries. Some of y'all haven't talked to your, God's heart is reconciliation. The king, when this guy's like, I'll pay you back, there's no way he could pay him back. There's no way he could pay him back. But God's heart is a heart of reconciliation. So I think his heart is to restore, to bring forgiveness. But what I just see in the body of Christ is people not understanding how to find some level of freedom and healing. And this is a healthy church. At least we're fighting to be a healthy church. And when it comes to this idea of boundaries, I think maybe the best little handle I could give you tonight when it's this idea is that boundaries really are about the balance between access and responsibility. Because whether you want to admit it or not, y'all got boundaries. How many out there you bank online? Three of us. Okay, the rest of you, I don't know what you're, what are you dealing in pelts? What's going on? Like, You got furs? What, what, are you, what are you working with, you know? Gold. Okay. <laughs> so dumb. Where's my laser pointer? Um, I'm going to give it back to you in one second. Uh, but, like, we all love each other, right? We're all Christians, we're body Christ. Let's just, real quick, just tell me your password. No, come on, just tell it to me. Like, come on. You love me, come on. We go to church. I'm the pastor, man of God. And you would say, no, bro. I'm not giving you that kind of access because you don't carry the responsibility with it. I think many times we go around life yeah. and we give everybody all access to us. But it's got to be matched with responsibility. I'm talking about in the church and how you do in life. My neighbor's my best friend. Like he literally, is my, it's a God story. He built a pickleball court. It's a whole story. 
goes to our church now, his kids are in the youth group, he's my physical neighbor, man of God. But we still got a fence. Why? Because the fence declares ownership and stewardship. You take care of your grass, I'm going to take care of my grass. A lot of us in this room, we're spending our whole life looking at someone else's grass, angry. God would just say, water your grass. Steward the space that I gave you. That's your ownership. And so what I'm trying to get in your heart tonight is that you don't have to hate someone to set up a boundary. It doesn't have to be negative energy. It can be wisdom. And the thing about boundaries, as Jesus is teaching in Matthew 18, talking about reconciliation, talking about going through the steps, trying to honor God, is that boundaries celebrates love, but it expects trust. And the thing with trust is one of those weird kind of words is that like, you know, you, you earn it in little drops, but it just, you lose it in, in buckets. And some of us in this room, we need to be a trustworthy person, but some of us in this room, we need to also recognize that it's okay to love someone and say, you know what, I don't, I don't trust you in this season right now. It's okay uh, if someone's broke your heart to say, it's going to take some time for us to mend. You say, well, how do I build trust? Trust is really easy. It's an easy, easy equation. It's the truth plus time equals trust. The truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I suppose, Judah, what I'm kind of going towards is that, like, lots of stuff happens in relationships, but I'm just amazed as I meet people that nobody ever taught them. If somebody is repeatedly lying to you, that's a red flag. I can handle a lot of stuff in a relationship, but you lying to me, that breaks trust. And so guess what happens? If you lied, it's going to take some time to rebuild that trust. I was counseling this dude who had an affair and he cheated on his wife and by the grace of God, she decided to forgive him and walk in that relationship and they were reconciled. But I was like, yo bro, guess what? Every password, everything you got, she now has access to all that. He's like, well, doesn't she know I love her? I was like, that don't, that don't cut it anymore. That don't cut it anymore. Now you gotta build trust. And in my own life, I've experienced this. A couple weeks ago, my son Wyatt, we've been in this 21 days of prayer and I told my boys, the night before, a five-year-old and three-year-old, hey, tomorrow I'm going to take you to the men's prayer meeting. By the way, Wyatt loves Judah more than he loves his dad. It's his favorite uncle. He loves him. And I told Wyatt, I said, Wyatt, I'm going to take you to prayer. I got up that morning. Prayer was really early. And I, I missed. I got back to the house. Everyone's asleep. I just said, you know, I'm going to let those old boys sleep. And I went over to church and did the church thing and, you know, shook hands, kissed babies. Hey, how are you doing? And looked good on a stage only to walk into my house and see a five-year-old little boy who looked at me and said, Dad, you broke your promise. And I had to make a decision right there as a 39-year-old man. My boy just did Matthew 18. <laughs> I'm grateful my son didn't go, like, stay in silence. Dad's the worst. No, he actually told me. What an opportunity. He did Matthew 18. Now I have an opportunity. So I took him in the room. I said, Wyatt, Dad is sorry. You're absolutely right. I told you one thing and I did another. Will you forgive me? And you say, Rich, why are you being so dramatic and so serious with that? It's because I want to build trust with that little boy. And the only way I can build trust is by telling him the truth and acknowledging my wrongs. I want trust in the home. Now, I don't know how to say this, but in my life, there have been some people 
who've let me down and hurt me that God has given me the grace to forgive them because of course they deserve forgiveness. I'm called to that. I gotta fight that in my, I gotta forgive, I gotta release it. But I had to honestly look back and say, yo, I love you, but I don't trust you right now. And so I'm gonna have to take a step back and create a little bit of space, have a little bit of distance. I'm not saying forever, we'll see what God does. But if I don't establish a boundary here, yo, I'm gonna lose my mind because I'm allergic to manipulation. I'm allergic to lying. Here's good language because boundaries are tools, not weapons. Here's good language. It's not about good versus evil. It's about you learning how to communicate. If you haven't communicated, you've never set up a boundary. Boundaries aren't ghosting people. It's not avoiding people. It's not silent treatment. You got to commu- It's a tool. It's a tool. Here's good language. You're not bad, but you're not good for me. You're not bad, but you're not good for me. If we could learn how to communicate this way. So what I love about Jesus is that he didn't just come to get us to heaven. That would be a very short-sighted look at his teaching. The theology that I look at at God's word is that the cross, it's got a vertical line and the cross has got a horizontal line because he's going to get me to heaven, but he's also teaching me how to thrive here on earth relationally and I need his help and I need his wisdom. I feel like you should close this, bro. I don't know. Like the Lord's ministering to people. I think um, it is interesting in the technological age that we find ourselves in, in the industrial age, it was, you know, everybody moved from the farmland into the city and started working in factories, and now we all live in the city, and, you know, there's a lot of isolation, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of um, hurt that's being caused because it's uh, cheap communication, you know, with the technological age, and so these boundaries are so profound because it's not just physical boundaries, but you're going to have to make some, some emotional, mental boundaries. You're going to have to turn some things off when you need to. And isn't it interesting that Matthew 18 is, well, it starts with really bad boundaries because the audience says they're comparing each other. They're like, who's, who's the best of all of us? And that's boundaryless thinking. You're busy thinking about other people. When Jesus wants to connect with you, first of all, with you, right? Like some of you, you're exhausting yourself because you're busy trying to help your mom. And that's awesome. But you know, Jesus was asked one time, like by one of the disciples, because it was apparent to that disciple that he was probably gonna die a martyr's death. And so he looked at one of the other disciples. He said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to live forever, what is that to you? Which was Jesus' way of saying, hey, 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 hey. Put a boundary there. I need you and me to connect. Comparison is, uh, it's like the, the sport of the 21st century. It's literally our sport. We compare each other um, constantly. Uh, a lot of people compare Rich and I, obviously both being so attractive. It's a... Well, I don't understand. I'm kidding. Um, so it's such a bad time for a joke. It's like, bro, land the plane. And the guy just takes off again. You know? 
<laughs> um, but you know, it's high time. This is a message really for the church. It's high time for us to, instead of compare with each other, care for each other. But that care has to be with boundaries. One old preacher told me, if it's not your wife and it's not your life, just give it to God. And then, you know, there's some power to these boundaries. And I trust that God is obviously set, you know, Pastor Rich here right now, coming to this city that many of us live in and love, to implore you. Hey, do you need to set some boundaries? And can I just say, some of you, I love you, but the boundaries you want to set are ver verbal and physical. And you want to be like, hey, I need to meet with you. And this is going to feel super good to you. You're going to be like, hey, I love you, I forgive you, but you are not good for me right now. Right? And that's going to feel awesome to you. And that may be what, what God is saying to you. But I would bargain. Bargain? Bet? What are we doing here? I would bet... That, like, that what God might be asking a lot of us is boundaries in our brain, boundaries in our soul. You know, like that boundaryless nighttime hour you have where you sit on your bed and you think about whether not, where you are in the whole grand scheme of importance and significance and influence. And you start to, now so, none of you struggle with this, only preachers struggle with this. Because people rank us, and they tell us who's... Somebody introduced me recently. He's one of the most listened to preachers in America. And I was like, oh, that's discouraging. Because it's, it's not relevant in a way. Certainly not relevant to my marriage. That don't help my kids. That don't really help my friendship. You gotta set some boundaries. Even labels people put on you. He has set some boundaries, and I just believe that the same Jesus who taught these parables is alive and apparent and available to you to help you set these boundaries. Right? Take these thoughts and just say, no, I'm not going to give myself to that. And I, I just had a sense, Pastor Rich, that, that God is, is setting people free. You know, I mean, we didn't, we're not doing this to like, because... Pastor Rich needs another sermon to preach or we need another service. We're, we're doing this because we believe that God has an intention and a plan for this building and for this moment. And, and it may be that you sleep better. It may be that you wake up with less weight in the morning because you're drawing some boundaries and say, that's not for me. That's none of my business. That's not where I need to put my attention, my time, and my effort. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do telling you what's ahead of you is bright, what's ahead of you is brilliant, and God's got you on your own unique path, and we're going to do it as a community and do it with one another, but we're going to do it full of forgiveness. I predict, and I know we've talked about this before, Pastor Rich and Pastor Chad, but I predict that the future of Jesus followers, we will be known most for forgiveness. Promise you. We're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna release people. I forgive you, no problem. I forgive you, no problem. I'm telling you, we're gonna make movies about it. We're gonna make shows about it. We're gonna write books about it. We're gonna preach sermons about it, and we're gonna live it and we're gonna be about it in the respective cities that we live in. Come on, let's set ourselves free. Let's set some people free. Let's set in some forgiveness and set some boundaries, and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your brain and your body. And I'm so dead serious. I believe you will have better sleep 
tonight. Can y'all help me thank Pastor Judith Smith tonight? So beautiful.